Welcome to Black to the Beginning, the Black Adoption Podcast, where we are amplifying the Black adoption conversation with Black adoptee voices and Black families at the center. We're your hosts, Dr. Sam and Sandria, two Black adoptees adopted by Black families still trying to make sense of our adoption journeys. We have all been touched by adoption, whether we realize it or not. You just don't hear our stories until now. Every birth has a story. So So let's let's go go black black to the the beginning. beginning. All right. So thank you so much for meeting with us today. We are super excited to have you. One of the reasons being is because you are late onset discovery your adoption like myself and Sandria. Yes. So we need to know, let's just get right into this thing. <laughs> How does one accidentally find out that they are adopted? Yeah, I was 44 when I found out. And I'll give you just a little bit of backstory because I think it's important. I probably, looking back on it, discovered it when I was like seven years old. I remember being home, going through the closet, found this adopted baby book and it had my stuff in it. And I had never seen this baby book before. And my parents had never told me about it. I had always seen a different baby book, but this had locks of hair, cards from friends of the family. And I, I remember asking my mom, like, like what what is this right why is this in here and that was the first lie she told me which was oh well friends gave us this book accidentally and we just used it Hmm. so I remember being that young and being told that but something every five six years of my life something would come up and I would ask again, and each time I got a different story. One, one year it was, well, when we had you, we were going to adopt another child, and uh, that child was sick, so we didn't adopt the other child. When I was 13, 14, applied for my social security card, needed my birth certificate. Found out my birth certificate said I was born in Peoria, Illinois. Why in the world? I grew up in Gary, Indiana. Why in the world was I born in Peoria, Illinois? And then it was, well, your dad likes to go fishing, so I went fishing with him one day, and that's where we had you. My mom never went fishing with us. My dad and I would go fishing together all the time. And then in my 20s, I think I had probably asked a couple more times. Each time I got a different story. Then in my 20s, I had an older sister at the time. She's passed away now. She passed away 15 years ago. But I remember I was really frustrated. I had asked mom and daddy about this once again. I was reading Ayanla Van Zandt's book, In the Meantime. Mm-hmm. And in that book, she talks about how everyone has a birth story. And I had never heard my birth story. I'd heard my sister's birth story. I had heard my mom's birth story. I had heard, I knew my niece's birth story because I was there. There was never a birth story about me. And it prompted me to ask my parents once again. So then they did tell me, I think they came up with more lies. And I asked her and she said, 
it's true, you are adopted. And I think I just felt my stomach drop. And then what she said was, well, daddy had an affair and you're the product of that affair. And then my stomach really dropped. And from that point, I was probably 24 years old until I was 44 years old. That was my story. Wow. So what happened at 44? So was there a, there's a part two, there's a different story. Yes, so it's February of 2016. Maybe like a lot of folks, I would always watch Skip Gates and watch people learn about their family history. And so I decided I was gonna go on Ancestry and do some of my own family history. I had known a little bit about my mom's side of the family. I knew a little bit about my dad's side of the family. In February, 2016, my aunt, who was my mom's middle sister, my mom's the oldest, her middle sister passed away. And she was from Tennessee. We drove to Tennessee, driving back. But that whole time, I remember telling my parents about all the things I had found on Ancestry, like my dad's father's, World War I draft record, right? Like it was just very exciting for me to see these pieces of history about people I'd never met in some cases, but were related to me. And we came back from our trip and I remember that Monday morning, I was driving in from Indiana to Chicago. I was on Stony Island where you get off the, the uh, toll road there. <laughs> and I'm talking to my mom because I talk to my parents every morning. And she said to me, so when are you going to tell me that you found out the truth about your birth parents? Now, birth parent might have been one story, but she said parents. Mm -hmm. She was plural. And I just, you know, I'm driving right and I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And She's like, when are you going to tell me what you found out about your birth parents? And I remember I was just like, why are you asking me about parents? And I think because I had believed that story for so long, I viewed my mom almost with a saintliness. Here she is raising another woman's child mm -hmm. and had never made a difference. I didn't feel different in the family. But she's saying this and I'm like, why is she saying parents? And it dawned on me, I'm like, wait a minute, something's not right. And I remember I was so upset. I went to work, I, I don't, it, the day was a blur, but I decided that night that I was going to write away for my original birth certificate, send away for it. Again, I was born in Peoria, I knew that, so I knew I had to do it through the state of Illinois. And I was so upset with my parents. And I just, I, I probably didn't talk to them for a couple of days, actually. And then I finally, I don't know if we had a conversation or I just declared, like, I don't wanna talk about this, I wanna wait until I get my birth certificate because I don't believe anything else you have to tell me. So I got my birth certificate. And one of my biggest fears in waiting for my birth certificate, uh, my sister, older sister and I were 20 years apart in age. And I was like, oh my God, what if she was my mother? That was the thing I was worrying about. But I got my birth certificate 
and it had my original name. It had my birth mother's name. It had, I was born in Peoria. So it was all the right things. And I got it and I didn't do anything with it at that point. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I did a lot of Googling, I will say that. <laughs> I did a lot of Googling. I went down the Google rabbit hole <laughs> the I did a lot of Googling. And with her name, I found someone that lived nearby in Illinois, maybe Carol Stream, who had passed away. But on the birth certificate, it had her city where she lived at the time, and she still lives there. And oh. so I was able to find her. So even when I was pretty sure that was her, I still didn't do anything for quite a while. Yeah. And in July, which was near my birthday, I decided to write her a letter. Mm-hmm. And I send her a letter and I'm like, I don't know exactly what I said, but essentially it was like, here's who I am. I think this is who you are. Not trying to cause trouble but just wanted to reach out. If I don't hear from you, I won't contact you again. And my birthday is on July 31st, and I got a response to her letter on the 30th of July. Wow. 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 So I'm just really over here like- Listen. And, and we actually, Amy, have like a, a similar sort of a path, but if you don't mind, I want to go back to the seven-year-old Amy. How did you just know that something was not completely right with how you were fitting with the family? I don't know that I didn't feel like I fit with the family, so... You know, as African-American families go, I was lighter than both my parents, but okay, right? That happens, big deal. I was always told that I looked like my dad's people. I did, in my mind, I looked just like them. Mm -hmm. So, all right, all right, fine. But I remember, I don't even know why I was doing it. I guess I was being precocious. My mom was asleep, taking a nap. My parents divorced when I was young. And so my dad was very much in my life, but wasn't in the house at the time. My mom may have been taking a nap. And I remember the house we lived in, there was a linen closet at the end of the hallway. Linens, papers, and then there was this book at the very top shelf. And I remember pulling it down. And it said right on the front of the book, the adopted baby book. And I opened it up and I see pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents. I see locks of my hair. I see baby booties. I mean, a variety of things, right? That you, I don't have children, but I know people who like you immortalize these things for your children, right? As memories. And I saw cards. Oh, that was one of the other lies at one point. I saw cards from family friends. And I remember my mom said, Well, we adopted a dog. And so sometimes people give cards to one another, like congratulations on you. So there was just always this this lie. And it would settle me for the moment, but it never really settled me. Got you. I'm like, I don't even know where to start, but I I wanna ask, 
just about your relationship, particularly with your mother growing up. So between the ages of, let's say, seven and 24, nothing has really been confirmed at that point. But you have these feelings, you have some ideas. So 24 comes and this other story is presented to you. What, what was your relationship like up to that point? So up to age 24. Yeah. So my mom had primary custody of me when I was growing up. So we were very close in many ways. I was always the dutiful daughter. I didn't act out, just like going through high school. Like I did everything that was expected of me. I went off to college and I started to not do everything that was expected of me. I flunked out of school my freshman year of college and had to go to another school. And it's interesting because my mom calls that period of time in our relationship when I was a turncoat. She calls me a turncoat. You were a turncoat then. Like I turned my back on her. Mm -hmm. I turned my back on being this good and quote daughter in her mind. And I, I mean, I wasn't anything more than rebellious. I, I wasn't doing anything any different than other teens were probably doing at the time. And for the longest time, maybe even up to this period of time, my mom has this picture of me on her dresser in her bedroom from fourth grade. Like that, that's the picture of me that she has. So, and she was a teacher. She was a, an elementary school teacher. She taught kindergarten for 47 years. And so she very much is a elementary school teacher in her ways. And I think relates to me very much like an elementary school child at times. Mm -hmm. and, and certainly throughout our, our time together growing up. And I responded in that way. Like that was our relationship. So I would say we were close. I probably had more fun with my dad. But I always knew that I could count on my mom for anything. There was never a question about that. So trust her. I did. I did, meaning I trusted that I could always go to her if something was happening. I trusted that she had my best interests. And I think that's why in that first story, right, age 24, hearing that felt really, it's not that I didn't trust her. I actually, again, put her on this pedestal. Like, here she is, this woman who made the choice to raise not just a, a, another child, but a child that her husband had out of wedlock. Like, oh my gosh. And I remember my mom saying to me, don't go digging. Mm. Don't go digging because it's only going to cause problems. And in my mind, that I interpreted that as it's only going to hurt me if you go digging because it's a painful thing. And I didn't want to hurt my mom. So I didn't go digging. I didn't go digging for two decades. So is it fair to say then from the moment that you found that adoption book up until the, the age of 24 that you relied on simply what was told to you, that there wasn't anything else that would have made you feel differently from what it was that you were told? Absolutely. I have a very small family that I grew up in and I didn't, I never felt different, differently loved. You know, my, my aunt was 
always there for me. My sister was there for me, even though she was an adult by the time I came along. I didn't feel different. I just knew something was different. And like I said, I, I accepted the answers to those things at the time when she would lie to me about my birth, just very elaborate kind of lies too. And I, I think I just thought like, she's not really gonna tell me the truth. So I'm just gonna move on. And I would go on for a while until it was like, yeah, something's not right here. Ask again. Mm-hmm. That moment that y'all had in the car and she turns to you and she wants to know, you know, so what did you find out about your parents? Because it almost sounds like it was, I want to say accusatory. Like, so I, I, I know you found out something. So what did you find out? Not even wanting to have the conversation, but just like, I already know that you know, so let's just get it out in the open. Did it feel like that to you? It absolutely felt like that. It absolutely felt like that. And I remember, I do remember that evening when I called my parents, you know, and I was asking questions again. They just, they just kept saying, you're ours. You're our child. You're our child. And I'm like, just tell me the truth, right? Like, just tell me, I'm still your child even if I'm not biologically your child. You're still my parents, even though you're not my biological parents. I love you all to death, I do, and would do anything for my parents. I'm, I love them dearly. And I, I just wanted them to tell me the truth, and they wouldn't. They just would not tell me the truth. And even when I got my birth certificate, I remember saying to my mom, couple of days after like for I was just like I don't want to talk about this until I get my birth certificate when I can know the truth for sure Mm -hmm. and once I received the birth certificate I just remember telling her I have the birth certificate I know the truth and it was kind of like okay and she just she didn't want to talk about it she didn't want to talk about it I know y'all can't see us, but it's like, I'm over here. Like, I just want to pounce because that part, I, I feel the frustration in your story, but then I also feel it personally, because to me, that is such a, it reminds me of an ex-boyfriend I had and, you know, I caught him cheating and it was almost like, well, now, you know, no, we need to talk about this. What you did wasn't right. It, it just. Yeah. And she didn't want to talk about it. She didn't want to talk about it. And my dad is, as much as I adore him as well, he goes along to get along. So my mom's not saying anything. He's not saying anything. And I don't know that they're not saying things for the same reason, but he's not going to say anything either. And he didn't. Neither one of them really wanted to talk about it. (laughs) And that's still the case up to this point. So it's been about four years now. So about a, so after I had made contact with my birth mother, I would say about a year after, maybe about a year or so after, I think I had told, well, less than that, six months later, I think I had told them that I had made contact with my birth mother. And that was kind of it. We didn't talk about it again. But I decided that I wanted to try to have a relationship with my birth family. 
they're not far from me. I found out that I had a younger sister who my birth mother raised and lived in the same town. And so I, I wanted to visit them. I wanted to have a relationship. And I remember telling my parents, I'm, I'm not gonna do this. Like, I would tell you if I was going out of town to visit anybody else, I'm not gonna pretend like I'm not engaging in a relationship. And so my mom, even to this day will say, well, I understand you wanna, you wanna know where you come from. You wanna understand your biology. She'll say that, but she doesn't really engage in conversation about it. My dad doesn't really ask me about it, but I'll mention that I had a conversation with my birth mom or my sister. And, you know, he's interested, he listens, but nobody really asked me about it. And yet there's still another twist. Oh, wait, wait, there's more. <laughs> there's more. So about a year, after I met my birth mother, my birth sister, I get a letter in the mail from the Illinois Department of Public Health saying that there is a uh, maternal sibling who wants to make connection. Mm. Now, my, my birth sister had told me that she knew about me since the time she was like 13 years old. Mm. And she was 34 at the time. So she had known that I existed and had tried to find me in different ways, those kinds of things. And so I thought when I got this, oh, this is the Illinois Department of Public Health catching up with all of us now. <laughs> well, apparently I had another sister who was born two and a half years after me and was also given up for adoption. Hmm. And she had, she had always known she was adopted but had started her search to find her birth family. And because I had gotten my records and had said, yeah, put me on the list or whatever, the registry list, they reached out to me. And again, another family secret. So my youngest sister never knew about her. It, like we laugh now and say she was the secret, secret baby. But then some of my aunts, my birth mother's sisters, they were like, yeah, we knew, but nobody, like, nobody said anything. So I'm like, well, here we go. Another set of secrets. It's so many things at play here. Your aunts didn't say anything because they are protecting your mother's quote unquote secret. Your mother feels like, okay, I'm gonna tell you about this one baby to the, the younger sister. Yeah. But for me to divulge that I've done this not once but twice is a whole other set of like, I, I now need to go into protective mode because I don't want this daughter looking at me sideways about why this has happened like multiple, you know, times. And yet all of these things come back to light. Mm -hmm. They all come back to light. And it was another thing that you said as well that for our listeners, this is not about like identifying your biology as right. if it's a, a thing a that medical you can science. Yeah, these, these right. are people that right. you belong to them and they belong to you, period. It's not just a, a, a medical or a scientific 
thing. So yes, you want to know not just the biology of it, but you have to have a connection on, on some level with the people or at least through stories. You need yeah. story and listening to you. I'm like, there's like three different plot twists here. There are. Have and 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 when so I had grown close with my youngest sister when this all happened and she didn't believe it like when it was happening and I'm like look I have the information here so let's call the secret sister <laughs> and we did and my youngest sister didn't believe it and she ended up confronting my biological mother like the next day who then was like I don't know what you're talking about and then she eventually said, yes, it's true. My uh, middle sister met my biological mother and our youngest sister and their family. And I remember she had even asked, I think we both asked, so we are both mixed race. And we said, so like, do we have the same father? And she wouldn't even answer that. She said she couldn't remember. She didn't know. So we had done a 23andMe test. Yep. <laughs> yep, we are. We are. Have any of this, did your mom, the mother who raised you, did she ever address these elaborate stories and lies? Why did they tell these stories year after year after year after year? Yeah. So she's never really addressed those stories. What she has said to me is, they got me. She, she had to sign papers that said that they would never go looking for my birth parents and that my birth parents would never come looking for me. And I just remember going, I didn't sign any papers. <laughs> like, I didn't sign papers. Yeah. So, you know. But she leans on that all the time. Here's what's interesting, Amy, and you've already shared with us your age, right? Yes. So Sandy and I, we're both 40 years old. I'm also thinking too, that there is something that occurred during the time in which we were adopted. Yeah. Okay, where there was a legal part of the process that pretty much if you were going through private um, agency, that's what you were told because yeah. my mother says the exact same thing. Mm. They were told you don't go looking for them and vice versa. The door is closed. This is a closed adoption. And my mom even takes it to the level of, I think the identifying information was on the other side of the paper. And it was like, don't turn the paper over. Don't look, don't do anything. Mm -hmm. So, I think also, too, with a different generation of parents, there's a certain level of, I don't know if it's fear or thinking they were breaking the law in some sense. So kind yeah. of, we want me trouble. Mm -hmm. So, hey, we're wiping our hands of it and we're just going to raise this child. Don't go yeah. digging. Don't go yeah. digging. Don't go digging. Yeah. And I, I know my mom. I know she's got to have paper somewhere. She like she doesn't get rid of stuff. So I know that there's somewhere. 
I don't, I don't know where they are. I may never know where they are. But my parents are almost 90 years old. So they were older when they adopted me. And I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I just think, you know, this idea of, you know, my birth mother has told me she was a teen mom, that her parents basically told her they would disown her, especially if she had a black child. She was sent to a home for unwed mothers, which is sort of mind blowing for me, but I think pretty common. And that's where she stayed. And she left there two weeks after she had me, and that was that. Wow. And even those stories, just unpacking the stories of birth mothers, that in itself is a whole other can of worms. It's so painful to me to hear her tell that story. It really is. Because I, again, I've not had children, but I can only imagine to be cut off from your family in that way for a period of time. Sounds like it was at least a couple of months. And knowing that your only option was to give up the child in order to be brought back into the family. Like that's, a, that's an awful story to me. And I, I know it is not uncommon. How has the revelation of your story affected your outlook just on relationships, period? So not just the relationships with your family, but just friendships, relationships with other women, relationships with men. Yeah. About trust and who's being honest with me, who's being truthful with me, who can I be safe with? If I'm going to be honest, I think I've learned to live with lies. Meaning, I know that I have relationships with people in my life who lie to me. And I've learned to live with lies. So I think that's one of the things that has unfolded. You know, I... I I don't know that I expect it, but it happens. So, and, and I think I, I try to move past it like I did when I was seven, right? Like, yeah, this doesn't quite settle, but it's enough for now and I'm just gonna keep going. So I, I think that has been one of the biggest impacts uh, on my relationships with friends, with men, even with myself, what I lie to myself about sometimes. So it's, it is something that I've thought a lot about over the past few years. And so I, th I think it plays out in that way, for sure. Just thinking about, I mean, this journey has been literally a lifelong journey for you. And this story is still unfolding and evolving and just all the different points of the plot twist and something that i think we try to express to people is that yes you can find out your truth but that doesn't that doesn't tie everything up with the bow that's not the end of our story so can you just talk a little bit about these last four years of just mm -hmm. processing this like, what has that been like for you? Yeah. So I think about my relationship with my parents that I grew up with. 
And I mentioned that they're older. I think we've gotten to a place where if, if I need to say something about how I'm feeling, I just do it. I don't, they don't always engage with me around it. And we still have our relationship. It's, it's still intact. I do find myself sometimes a bit more impatient when I hear my mom about to go into other lives. Like there are times when she's very much like a, a live omission kind of person. I'm not gonna tell you quite the truth, but I'll give you this much information. Mm -hmm. and I call her on it and I call my dad on it for like and you know about it and you don't say anything but then part of me is like you know they're almost 90 years old they're not changing right so what I have to come to terms with is what is the relationship that I want to have with them and with my biological family you know early on particularly that first year of getting to know them, I was all in. I was all in. I was, you know, meeting my nieces and nephews and my aunts and uncles. And, and then on top of it, I mean, they're all white. So part of me was just like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I did that 23andMe test and, and my, my middle sister makes fun of me because she's like, you're 60% Caucasian. This is mind blowing to me because I am very much identified as a black woman. Right. That is who I am. So that was throwing me off for a little while too. So um, that, do you get into the whole just being biracial, black woman, adoptee, and I know it's not quite the same as being a transracial adoptee because you were adopted by black parents, but was there ever this identity struggle even, I don't know, I guess around the age of 24 and beyond? I mean, no more than probably the colorism that exists within the black community like that that played out for me growing up I mean I remember kids would call me white girl and I'd be like you know it just it was painful it was one of those like crazy things that kids do but for some reason I didn't really think about it until I got that DNA test and I was just like this is crazy to me <laughs> Absolutely crazy. And I will say that, so my middle sister, the, the secret sister that we all found out about, she and I were, were both raised in Black homes. And we're a lot closer. We are just a lot closer. And I would say that my relationship with my biological mother and my youngest sister has, has dropped off quite a bit. And I, and I think about it for a lot of different reasons. I mean, I think we all get busy. You get excited and you're like, oh, I'm going to really dig into this. And then things sort of just fall apart a little bit. I think that, you know, they've been very kind to me and very welcoming to both my middle sister and I into the family. But it just feels different. It just feels different. And in particular, during this time around the fight for racial justice in this country over the past several months, I was 
very hurt that they never reached out. Mm-hmm. Not once. To one, I'm in Chicago where there was a lot of things happening, right? Just to check on me and see how I'm doing. And just the fact that like you have this black sister and not once did you reach out. So that feels weird to me. So that's the thing I'm processing now about our relationship. That's my current thing I'm processing. That's a lot to process. Very much so. I even was thinking too about whether or not the relationship is stronger between a sibling if you were both adopted, right? So you both don't have any connection, so to speak, with the biological family. So you're both coming in hot, right? Right. (laughs) Yes. But the good thing is that your half-sister at least knew about you because I think it's it adds a different element to the relationship when another sibling has no idea that you exist. Yes. There's a few things like at, at play here, but I do find it very interesting that you are closer with the middle sister, the one who is also black as well. You know, yeah. I, I think there's just a lot to be said, you know, about that and how we connect. Yeah, I mean, there's a shared cultural experience that we have. Yeah. Uh, in terms of how we were raised and, and how we look at the world and how the world experiences us as Black women. So it's just different. It's different. Do you know if your birth mother specifically wanted you and your sister, the middle sister, to be adopted into Black families? Do you know? I don't know. I don't think I've ever asked that question. My my sense is that sort of once she signed the papers, it was kind of out of her hands. My middle sister did have her adoption agency send her a sort of like redacted history, right? Like it didn't include identifying information. And it was interesting to hear that because again, that was two and a half years after I was born. You know, it, it, it sounds like there was some on-again, off-again relationship that our parents had. And again, it was the 70s, early 70s, and, you know, the family was not accepting of, of their relationship, of these children that have been born now. So I just, there's something about that, I don't know, that, that tends to have created a bond with us in some way. So where do you go from here? What what's next? How do you forward past your processing to say, okay, this is my next move toward my own personal healing, toward my own personal acceptance of where your adoptive parents are at? How do you move forward from here? Yeah. I think there have been two pieces that have that, that I am still working on today, right, in this healing. So one is around really recognizing my self-worth. That's been a big part of this and, and really being able to put myself first. I put everybody else ahead of me, especially the people that I love. And I was laughing with one of my friends not that long ago. She, I was, t- we were talking about like, being at the top of your list she's like we just need to get you to get yourself on your list yes 
<laughs> and and I hear that, right? And I am uh, very cognizant of not just being on my list, but putting myself at the top of the list, which then in turn means not living with lies mm-hmm. and not accepting lies from others and from myself, which which is shifting my relationships with some people I have because that's the way we've operated for so long. So I would say those have been two ways that I've been really trying to be intentional about sort of my healing and being enough for myself when I spent so many years you know, wondering and then feeling bad. Like I felt, for some reason, my mom thought it was a better lie to tell me that I was the product of an affair that my dad had rather than just telling me that they adopted me. Mm. And when I think about those, I mean, I I lived with a lot of shame because of that and feeling a sense of allegiance to my mom because of that and being forgiving to my dad. And none of it was true. None of it was true. The truth to me was far less harmful mm-hmm. in hindsight than what I was told. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's been a lot of excavating I've been doing to, get, to try to get to who I really am and to be comfortable with that. That just sounds so empowering to me because I always think about if you've been lied to, whether it's blatant lies or lies of omission your entire life, you have that moment where you feel very powerless. So how do you get that power back? How do you, you know, get that sense of self back, like a true sense of self? When I hear you talk about your healing process, I just hear empowerment. So Mm -hmm. even knowing that your parents don't really want to talk about it, you still will call them to the carpet on things. You'll still bring things up. You'll still say when you're spending time with your birth family. Just those little ways where you might tend to shrink or to hide and keep things a secret and perpetuate the lies. Like, no, like this is what's going on. I'm owning this, whether you guys want to own it or not. I just think that's so empowering for other adoptees to hear so yeah. just thank you for for sharing that i hadn't thought of it that way but i i will think of it that way because i'd like to think of it in that way yeah no you're you're a badass you're kind of a badass <laughs> like that takes a lot because you love your parents you know i i hear it in your voice and, and you say that you love your parents and of course you don't want to you know hurt them but at the same time you have to protect yourself. You have to put you on your list. And so I think this is a part of putting you on your list. Like, I'm not going to perpetuate the lies. I want to live in truth. And so you're doing that unapologetically. So yeah, be a badass. I love it. I love it. Thank you. And adoptees um, who are listening or anyone that's listening, understand that that doesn't happen overnight, right? Where you were at when you first got that birth certificate and it first came to light, mm. you know, it takes time to even get the badass status. Like right. <laughs> and you may not feel like that every day. <laughs> and that's okay. And that's okay. 
Yeah. One day at a time, one step at a time. Yes, absolutely. I've, I've also been meditating a lot to just try to be in, in this moment, this day, not to dwell on the past, not to worry about the future. And that has been a bit of a saving grace. We gotta meditate sometime. We're, we're in the same city. We gotta meditate, do some yoga together. Cause those are things like, that's my jam. That's right up my alley. <laughs> I'm up for that. <laughs> that is so well, thank you so much for spending the time with us yes. to share your story for folks that are listening and want to get in contact with you, maybe to get greater insight from you, not just about an adoptee, but you, you have some other elements here. Like what does it mean to be biracial? What happens if you do that ancestry or that 23 and me and it's all the white folks. So if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram, and my uh, name on Instagram is A-L-M, so Alice Liz Mary 731, my initials, and my birthday, so A-L-M 731. All right, perfect. Would love to hear from folks. Sometimes you feel alone, even with my middle sister that I've grown close with, her story is very different than mine, so similar but yet different. I still feel different. And I, I, I appreciate knowing and meeting the two of you and, and getting connected and plugged into this community of folks who feel lots of ways about their experience. So thank you so much for having me. I, I appreciate being able to share my story with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to another episode of Black to the Beginning, the Black Adoption Podcast with Dr. Sam and Sandria. If you want more Black to the Beginning, follow at Black to the Beginning and hashtag Black and Adopted on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. If you would like to share your Black adoption experience, check out our Instagram at Black to the Beginning and click the link in our bio. Remember, the Black adoption conversation is the Black family conversation. These discussions can be difficult, but necessary for generational healing. Let's keep the conversation going for the culture. <laughs>